Good morning, Boker Tov. Welcome everybody to our Aliyah day for the fourth reading of the uh, Aliyah, uh, the fourth Aliyah, I should say, the fourth reading of Parashah Vayeshev. And uh, welcome from wherever you're watching. Glad that you're with us. If you're listening on podcasts and not wa- watching, then thank you for listening. It's a joy to be with you this morning and to dive into the Torah portion for the day. We are in the book of Bracious, of course, the book of uh, Breshit, chapter 38, the book of Genesis. We are going to be beginning in verse 1 is the uh, fourth Aliyah. We are taking a bit of a, <clears throat> a detour, if you will, from the story of Yosef. And the Torah takes us uh, seemingly in a uh, kind of a swerve, if you will, to talk about Judah and Tamar. We're going to learn why this is, why it's placed in the middle of this uh, discussion. Because last week, or last week, yesterday, excuse me, uh, yesterday we left off with with, uh, Yosef being sold and the brothers taking his cloak back to his father, the cloak dipped in blood, the cloak that we believe to be the cloak of Adam, and asking his father, is this your your, uh, cloak of your son? And so we interrupt the story now to transition to Judah, and we're going to be talking about why that is the case. So it says here in verse 1 of chapter 38, It was at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned away toward an Adulamite man whose name was Hira. Now the the sages point out that this is really uh, figurative, that Judah turned away from his brothers because his brothers had demoted him. He was supposed to be the leader. He was supposed to be the king tribe. He was supposed to be the ruler. He was supposed to be the one to uh, give good advice, but instead he did the opposite. So when the brothers got back to his fa- to their father and they saw the grief that their father was going through uh, with respect to losing Yosef, they got mad at Judah and said, you're supposed to lead us. There. You, you, you were supposed to tell us the right thing to do. But instead, you told us the wrong thing to do, so they demoted him. So this is why we have Judah, who uh, goes away from his brothers, and uh, that's why he's where he is. But it says in verse 2, There Judah saw the daughter of prominent merchant, whose name was Shua. He married her and consorted with her. He conceived, and she bore a son and called his name Er, or Er. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. And yet again, she bore a son and called his name Shelah. Now, Shelah is related to Shiloh, uh, uh, the, the name itself, which is, of course, a title of Mashiach. And it was an Hezib when she bore him. Judah took a wife from, for Er, his son, and her name was Tamar. Now, in the, the uh, Kehol Tumash, it brings down this uh, particular insight from the Midrash Rabbah. This comes from Breshit Rabbah 85.1. And it says, When Judah saw her, he took her for a, for a prostitute. He turned aside to her. This, of course, later in the story. So it says the Midrash describes the incident of Judah and Tamar as follows. The, uh, the progenitors of the tribe, the tribes, that is the brothers of uh, the sons of Yaakov, 
they, they, they were busy with the cell of Yosef. Yosef was busy mourning over his separation from his father. Reuben was busy with his, his repentance. Jacob was busy mourning over Yosef. And Judah was busy getting married. And what was God doing? God was busy creating the light of Mashiach. God was busy creating the life of Mashiach. This teaches us a valuable lesson here about what was going on um, in this particular episode. As we learn from reading an insight from the Gutnik Humash, it says, Rashi explains the simple reason why the Torah begins to speak of Yehuda in the middle of the story of Yosef. Why do we have this interruption? This is to teach us that Yehuda's brothers demoted him from his high position. However, Rashi does not explain why the entire account of Yehuda and Tamar was recorded here, leading up to the birth of Peretz and Zarak. So we know, okay, so he demoted him, but why, why talk about the, the birthing of, uh, of the boys and so on? However, it says, according to the explanation of the Midrash, we can understand that the account of Yehuda, this is the Midrash I just cited, it says, we can understand the account of Yehuda and Tamar was included here to explain the reason why Yosef was sold. So this all has to do, actually, with the sale of Yosef. It has everything to do with the fact of Yosef, remember, Messiah ben Yosef, the Mashiach, going to Egypt. So it all has to do with his sale. It says here, because God was paving the way for Mashiach. Okay, so, again... The betrayal of the son, handing him over to uh, essentially die, for him descending to Egypt. Where is the Mashiach today, the sages say? He's at the gates of Rome. He's at the gates of idolatry. He's at the gates of paganism. He's waiting to be called up to be the rightful king. So, in, so this story of Judah and Tamar is actually part of the story, and God is here paving the way for Mashiach. So, this teaches a lesson that the son had to be betrayed by the brothers in order to pave the way for Mashiach. So it says here, because God was paving the way for Mashiach, thus, before we read of Yosef's enslavement and the ensuing Egyptian exile, the Torah, quote, prefaces the cure before the disease. It professes it, it, it gives the cure. Hashem is giving us the cure before the disease. He's bringing forth Mashiach before the enslavement. Now, this is why we read in the, like the book of Revelation, for instance, that the lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. Why? Because it's part of God's prerogative to give the cure before there is the disease. Why? Because he uh, sees the end from the beginning. This is the reason. So, we continue reading the story. It says um, in verse 8, uh, so, what, well, verse 7, let me read verse 7, Slika. So it says, But Er, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the eyes of Hashem, and Hashem caused him to die. So Er dies, and so it says here, Then Yehuda said to Onan, Consort with your brother's wife, and enter into a liberate marriage with her, and establish offspring for your brother. This is another indication 
that the Torah has already existed. That when the Torah was given at Mount Sinai, it was very simply a reintroduction of the Torah to a people who had been bound up and be, had become idolaters. Every Jew who came out of Egypt, every single Jew who came out of Egypt, the sages teach us we were all idolaters. So this is an example that the Torah has always been because they're, they're practicing uh, leveret marriage and uh, that's part of the Torah law. So it says here in verse 9, But Onan knew that the seed would not be his, so it was that whenever he would consort with his brother's wife, he would let it go to waste on the ground so as not to provide offspring for his brother. What he did was evil in the eyes of Adonai and caused him, his son to die also. So in the Artsko Humash, it says something very interesting. It brings down a very important point. It says here, talks, talking about the heritage of Tamar. What was so special about Tamar? It says here that according to the Midrash, she was the daughter of Noah's son Shem from Breshis Rabbah 85.10. Now, this is going to come into play later uh, in the story as there's going to be a, another example of, um, of why, or, or, or a, a proof, rather, of this fact. But this is very important to understand that she was a descendant of Shem. Why? Because Shem was Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a title, right? It's not a name. So Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Melchizedek was both king and priest of God Most High. He transferred that kingship and that priesthood to uh, Abraham, as we said yesterday, so that Abraham could offer his son. And then, of course, that carried on down the lineage. But what you have here is Mashiach, the, the woman who is going to give birth to the line of Messiah, what would eventually become the Davidic dynasty, that she is a daughter of Melchizedek. This is one of the reasons why Mashiach has to be and is after the order of Melchizedek, because that's where his line began. It began with a daughter of Melchizedek and Judah. So it says here, what was the sin of the boys? Well, quite frankly, the boys were very evil, and they had <clears throat> upon them the spirit of lust. They had a. They are actually from the 21st century. Because it says here, the Torah states that Ur and Onan died because they had spent too much time watching Victoria's Secret magazine. It says here, they died because uh, of their sin. They, they saw that Tamar was beautiful, and they did not want her beauty to become marred by pregnancy. So they wasted their seed uh, because they didn't want her to lose her great figure because uh, they, they, uh, they were evil. And it says here, uh, for this sin, God considered that they should die. So that's actually the sin of the boys. They were selfish, self-centered. So it says here in verse 11, Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, lest he also die like his brothers. So Judah had actually suspected that Tamar might be uh, part of the problem. She might be the problem, in fact. So he didn't want to give another son to her, lest uh, that son die also. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. Many days passed, and Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. When Judah was consoled, he went up to oversee his sheep shearers. He and his Adulamite friend, Hira, they went to Timnah. And Tamar was told as follows. 
Behold, your father-in-law is coming up to Timna to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garb from upon her, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself up. She then sat by the crossword which is on the road toward Tina, for she saw that Shelah had grown, and she had not been given to him as a wife. So the Baal Torah uh, brings something down here. It says here, um, incidentally, in the uh, before I read the Bahatun, there's something here from the article, Humash, I want to point out. It talks about the history of man and man's struggle uh, between good and evil, and it just brings out an important point we should all recognize. It says here that at times when there is an enormous potential for breakthrough, at times when there is an enormous potential for breakthrough, that is breakthrough of good, the forces of evil fight back furiously, just as an army with its back to the barricade will counterattack tenaciously. So, if you're about to see great good break forth and burst forth in your life, you can expect the enemy to attack you. You can expect all the hatred to come out in full force when there's about to be great breakthrough, right? So just know that, believe that, and trust that because that is the reality. So the Baal to verse 14. Verse 14, talking about Tamar uh, going out to pretend to be a harlot. Why would she do such a thing? What I mean, really, that seems so debased. It seems so wicked. It seems so evil. What is the motivation? So it says, Bepetak Eneim Asher. She sat by Pesa Eneim, which is, all right, so it's the Baal Torah brings out that the final letters of these words uh, would include the Resh, the Mem, and the Chet, have the same gematria, 248. They have the same gematria as Avraham. For Tamar said, May it be God's will that I merit to cleave to the offspring of Avraham. And the comments to this, it mentions that uh, Baal Torah talks about it and says, We have searched through the entire scriptures, and we have not found any such place as Patek Anayim. Literally, this means entrance to the eyes. So there's no such place. So in, instead of this being a literal place that she, in which she sat, it's more of a figurative thing. It's more of a prayer. She's offering up a prayer, not going to a, a literal place necessarily. Or at least the place isn't literally called this. But rather, the verse teaches that she sat, she set rather, her eyes, that is, she aspired to the entrance towards which all eyes are set, and she prayed, May it be God's will that I not leave this house empty. This comes from Breshis Rabbah 85.7. She went and sat at Pateach. She went and sat at the entrance of Abraham's home, the place which all Anayim eyes long to see. In other words, what Tamar wanted more than anything at all, she wanted to be a part. She wanted to, to cleave to the uh, family of Avraham. It says here that she wanted to be a part of, of this uh, great mission. Much like Leah wanted to be a part of the godly mission. She did not want to be a part of uh, Esau. She wanted to be a part. She wanted to be one of the mothers of the tribes. And because of her great longing for righteousness, Hashem 
rewarded Tamar. It's just why uh, a lot of, uh, you know, one of the sages once wrote um, that it's not about uh, can't, but it's about want. And so people who really want something, nothing can detour them from that. This is one of the reasons why it became customary. Of course, it's been taken too far into the extreme today, but it became customary for rabbis to rebuff converts at first. And it wasn't so much they didn't want them to convert back then, but rather it was because they wanted to test their, their enthusiasm. When you want something, you want something. You don't let it go. And so Tamar wouldn't let it go. She wanted to be a part of this great mission. And she wasn't satisfied with being rebuffed. That's, that was her motivation. That's the point of her motivation. So it says in verse 15, When Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot since she had covered her face. So he detoured to her by the road and said, Come if you please, let me consort with you. For for he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. It says in Breshis Rabbah 85.8, it brings down a a, a statement, that Judah being righteous was actually disposed to overcome his inclination, his evil inclination, and walk past her. But rather because God wanted... Uh, to make this union happen, that he wanted to honor Tamar. He wanted Tamar to be uh, the beginning of the line of, of David, at the beginning of the line of Mashiach, that he actually sent Gabriel, who um, or sent an angel anyway, I don't know if it was not necessarily Gabriel, but it sent an angel to entice Judah to uh, turn back. And the angel said to Judah, where are you going? From where will kings arise? From where will great men arise? Only then Judah detoured to her by the road. So in other words, God inspired this. So it says here, and and, and she said, what will you give me if you consort with me? And he replied, I will send you a kid of the goats from the flock. Now, this is just a reminder. This goes back to meat and dairy separation. Many people erroneously believe that if as long as we're not boiling a goat in its mother's milk, that that's that's all there is to say about meat and dairy separation. That is absolutely incorrect. The separation of meat and dairy is 100% a Torah law. It's not a rabbinic tradition. No rabbi ever in the history of uh, Judaism has ever thought that. And in fact, all Jewish sects, no matter what's Reform, Orthodox, Conservative, even the Samaritans separated meat and dairy. But this explains that a kid is not necessarily a goat. That's why it says here again in the scripture, like it says uh, with when Rebecca told uh, Yaakov, go get me a kid from the goats, uh, that was redundant if the word kid always meant a goat. And so it says here, give me a kid of the goats, not a kid of the lambs, not a kid of the, of the, of the, of the herd, but rather a kid of the goats. So um, she said, provide me, Leave a pledge until you send it. And she said, and he said rather, what pledge shall I give you? And she replied, your signet, your wrap, your staff that is in your hand. And she gave them to her and, and he consorted with her and she conceived by him. Now, Baal brings down an interesting insight with respect to verse 18 um, when it talks about your wrap. The word wrap is uftilecha. And so it says here, the word shares the same letters as u tefillin, your tefillin. Similarly, the word haf tefillin, the rap, used later in the narrative in uh, chapter 38 and verse 25, 
has the gematria 575, which is the same uh, gematria as tefillin. So, meaning here that when it talks about his rap, that she wasn't talking necessarily about perhaps his, his tunic necessarily, but it is an illusion that she's talking here about the tefillin that he wore. So it says here in verse 19, Then she arose, left, and removed her veil from her, and she put on her widow's garb. Then Judah sent the kid of the goats through his friend the Adulamite to retrieve the pledge from the woman, but she did not, he did not find her. He inquired of the people of her place, Where is the prostitute, the one at the crossroads? And they said, There was no prostitute here. So she returned to Judah and said, he, rather, Slika, he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. Even the local men said, there's no prostitute here. So Judah said, let her keep them, lest we become a laughingstock. I really sent her this kid, but you could not find her. So he's saying, hey, it's okay. I fulfilled my obligation. If she wants to keep the stuff, let her keep the stuff. It's better to do that than to be embarrassed. And so it says, and when it was about three months had passed that Judah was told, Your daughter-in-law Tamar has committed harlotry, and moreover, she has conceived by harlotry. Judah said, Take her out and let her be burned. So, uh, again, about Haturim to verse 24, it says, Judah said, Take her out and let her be, born, be burned. She was taken out. The initial letters, it says, of Yehuda Hatsiach Vesharek Ki spell out Yodke Vavke. This allusion to God's name teaches that God set before Tamar the items that Judah had entrusted to her, for she had lost him. Goes on to explain from uh, various sources, such as the Talmud Sota 10b, that. She had actually lost the items. This was all uh, because the Hasatan, cursed be he, had caused her to lose the items. And as a result, she was in a panic. And so Hashem actually caused the items to be found because it explains that the, uh, the Sutton's goal was to stop the line of, of David. So we read the story continuing on. It says, that God, that uh, Judah rather, had said, let her be burned. Now, this brings down, this is where there's another proof that she's actually the daughter of Shem. Remember, Shem is the priest of God Most High. It says in the article of Chumash, and let her be burned. Because Tamar was the daughter of Shem, who was a priest, they sentenced her to be burned. That's why he gave her, because you don't burn common people, not for this type of crime but you would burn the daughter of a priest. So this, again, is an allusion to the fact that she is actually liable to the death penalty because she was a daughter of, of uh, uh, Melchizedek. <clears throat> now, I want to read an interesting insight in the time that we have because um, I may not get to the discussion of Peretz, uh, but I do want to bring this out because this is a very interesting insight from Petuke Chotam. And it's talking about this exchange between... Uh, let me just read the exchange first. So it says here um, in verse 25, And she was taken out, and she sent word to her father-in-law, saying, By the man to whom these belong, I am with child. 
And she said, identify, if you please, who's this signet and who's rap and who's staff. The sages instantly bring down that the reason that he lost his son and the reason that this whole exchange happened was payback for what he had done to Joseph. Because he had uh, caused the firstborn son to be killed, his firstborn son was killed. And because he was uh, the one who said, identify, if you, if you will, is this your son's cloak, that he was publicly embarrassed when she said, identify, if you will, is this your rap? And so it was uh, measure for measure he was paid back. In the same way you judge, the same way you will be judged. In the same way that you give, in the same way, in the same, with the same measure that you give, the same measure you will be given to. So it says, Judah recognized and said, she is right, it is for me, as, inasmuch as I did not give her to Shelah, my son, and he was not intimate with her anymore. So, <clears throat> now, going back to Pituke Chotma, who was a French rabbi uh, from my home nation. It says here, the Zohar says, volume 1, 203a, in the Zohar. I want you to listen to this very carefully because this is Kabbalistic thought from Judaism coming from the Zohar and it explains a lot when we think about I want you to think about the fact that here we have Messiah Yeshua. He's the divine Messiah. It confuses a lot of people because uh, they don't study Jewish sources and that's why they're confused. But Yeshua is the divine Messiah. He is the manifestation of Hashem. He's like the image of Hashem, right? You think of it in the terms of like being a hologram, if you will, so to speak. Um, and so he's the Word of God made flesh. And John talks about how the Word of God was with God and was God. And so, so that's kind of confusing. And then we have people who think that Mashiach is God, which isn't exactly the case, but I understand the confusion. He's, he's Memtet, like you, you go up to him. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. He's like, the, he's like Joseph. If, if you've seen or talked to Joseph... You have seen or talked to Pharaoh. Even though Joseph isn't actually Pharaoh, it is as if you are talking to Pharaoh. Totally understand the confusion. And then you have the issue with Yeshua praying to God. And so some people say if he's divine, if he is the manifestation of God, then how is he talking to himself? Right? And so people say, well, that he's talking to himself, then he has to be just a man. He can't be God. And they get all confused. And so enter Zohar. So it says, when the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed and Hashem told the Shekinah to accompany the Jewish people in the exile, it responded. Now the Shekinah, my friends, is God. It's His glory. And it says here, Hashem told the Shekinah to accompany the Jewish people into exile. You know, like Yeshua said, I must go so that, he, so that the Ruach HaKodesh can come to you. So it says, the, Rekina, the Shekinah responded. I fear you may abandon them in exile and leave me there as well. So the Shekinah is talking to God. But the Shekinah is God. So God is talking to himself. So it says here, Hashem answered, I have given them mitzvot to occupy themselves with and in their merit I shall protect the Jewish people in exile. Remember them and ultimately redeem them. So now Hashem is telling the Shekinah that when it comes time for them to be redeemed, you are the Redeemer. So Hashem gave them mitzvot, such as milah, that's circumcision, tzitzit, and tefillin, as well as the mitzvah to learn Torah and occupy themselves with it. 
while the Jewish people are in exile, if they should become liable towards Hashem and the attribute of judgment should level accusations against them, it is almost certain that the Shekinah, empowered with these mitzvot, will speak in their defense and the decrees will rescind. You know, like the Shekinah, or like Yeshua, rather, is ever making intercession for us. So it says, so the Shekinah here, my friends, is the Mashiach. How do we know that from Jewish sources? Well, it actually says in the Midrash that in the beginning, the Spirit of God hovered over the waters of the deep, right? That's in the Torah. And so the Midrash brings down that that Spirit is the Spirit of Messiah Yeshua. But wait a minute. I thought it was the Spirit of God. And the answer is yes. So it says here, the idea is alluded to in this exchange, in these, these verses. And, and just bear with me a minute or two. We're going over our time, but just bear with me just for a moment. It says, she was taken out. The word she here refers to the Jewish people when they were taken out to be judged from exile. And she sent word. Here the word she refers to the Shekinah. It sends a favorable judgment on behalf of the Jewish people. To her father-in-law. The Shekinah sent word to her father-in-law, which is a reference to Hashem. The numerical value of Hatiha, her father-in-law, is 63, which happens to be the same gematria as Hashem's name, Yudke Vavke, when it's spelled out in its full form, Yod He Vavke, right? Completely spelled out. By the man, Laish, this refers to Hashem, who is called a man of war. In Shemot 15.3, Hashem is called a man of war. Of war, a ish hamacha. So it says, Asher ele, to whom these belong. This refers to the mitzvot that we have mentioned. Lo, to him. This refers to Hashem as he gave these mitzvot to the Jewish people to occupy themselves with him. As a result, Lo anoki hara, to him I am with child. The Jewish people are still his children. The Shekinah says that. This is proof, these mitzvahs are proof that they're your children and that you sent me to be with them. So the Shekinah is talking to Hashem and advocating on our behalf. He's praying to, the Shekinah is praying to God. So it says, the, the Jewish people are still his children and he is still their father even while they are in exile. Had Hashem not given these mitzvahs to perform, it would be as, as if they had no longer considered to be his children. If in this verse... The Shekinah is beseeching. I pray to you. Please remember the merit of these mitzvot and the Torah that the Jewish people fulfill and redeem them immediately. Now remember, my friends, the Shekinah is God. Okay? The Shekinah is the glory of God. Shekinah is Hashem manifest in His glory and the Shekinah is now praying to God to save the Jewish people. So it says... Haker na lemi ha chotemet. Identify, if you please, to whom uh, belongs this signet. The signet refers to bris milah, that circumcision, to the Shabbat and the festivals, which are all considered signs between the Jewish people and Hashem. This cloak, haftelim, this cloak, this word can be rearranged to say tefillin, alluding to the mitzvah tefillin. Furthermore, the word petilim alludes to the mitzvah tzitzit, which is called Petel Techelet, Bami Bar 1538. So now the cloak is talking about our tefillin and our tzitzit. And this staff, Vehamate, the letter Memtet, the letter Memtet, 
of this word have a numerical value of 49. Memtet has the numerical value of 49. This reversed, refers to the Torah, which may be interpreted, interpreted through 49 ways of purity and through 49 ways of impurity. In the merit of these mitzvot, I ask you in the merit of what? In the merit of the Torah. In the merit of Memtet. In the merit of these mitzvot, I ask you to identify them, to, to, that is to take note of them, and as a result, to take the Jewish people out of exile. Judah recognized them and said, Ve'omer Yehuda. The name Yehuda alludes to Hashem, as it has the same numerical value as Yudke Vavke, adding four for the number of letters. She is more righteous. She, the Jewish people, is correct in her words. That is, that I, or, or excuse me, than I. This may also be read as from me. In other words, Hashem is saying, these words came from me. Since the Jewish people are involved in Torah and mitzvot, I shall protect them, remember them, and redeem them. For I did not give her. This phrase is related to the verse, and the Jewish people were not given, ve'lo natan to Sikon, Bamibar 21-23, which implies, this is the conclusion of this very deep statement by Putuke Chotam, which implies that until the days of Mashiach, Hashem will not leave the Jewish people without protection. Instead, he promises in, Tahit, in Psalm 91.15, I am with the Jewish people in distress, and I will protect them. To Shela, Le Shela, it says in the verse, this is to the Mashiach, who is called Shiloh. Hashem protects the Jewish people in exile until the Mashiach comes. And finally it says, Velo Yasaf od le data. And he did not cease to know her anymore. Hashem has not ceased his divine providence, and he remains concerned with us, as the verse says, I am with him, the Jewish people, even in distress. And that, my friends, is going to end our Aliyah. We will pick it up again tomorrow, and I will conclude uh, with looking at the names of the, the twin boys who are born. And um, we'll go and continue right into the story of Yosef. Just know that Hashem is so merciful that He has given us the cure before the disease. The Lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. And we have it right here in this Aliyah. May you have a blessed, wonderful, awesome, magnificent, and righteous day. Be somebody's light. Smile at somebody and tell them you love them. And we will see everybody tomorrow. Shalom, shalom.